0: Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here, one of the founding attorneys of The Legal Geeks. With me tonight is Gabby Martin and Thomas Harper, and we will talk about the fifth episode of The Mandalorian, The Gunslinger, The Return to Tatooine, the fun in the sand adventure, the sand people adventure. There is so much there, and I I gotta say, we liberated that bar. It now serves droids, and... I'd like to take credit for that, but that's, that's not important right now. Uh, Gabby, Thomas, how are you both doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well. I can't get this, the idea that a lot of people on the internet think that Amy Sedaris and Baby Yoda is like this Virgin Mary child energy, <laughs> chaotic energy that they need in 2019. So that's, that's where my brain is at right now.
2: And speaking of baby Yoda, I'm a little hurt right now. I not not because of any anything anybody specific did, but I finally got a baby Yoda shirt and I immediately I didn't even wash it. I took it right out of the package, put it on and had to go to Target as you do and instead of keeping my jacket on for the short duration, I immediately took it off and I said, somebody is going to say something about my baby Yoda shirt and I'm going to get a new best friend from this Target run. And not a single person said something. I got a couple confused looks uh, as folks kind of cocked their heads at a grown man wearing a small Yoda shirt, but um, <laughs> no new friends. So I'm gonna have to try again.
0: You know, I support your life choices, and you did nothing wrong. So yeah. there's a uh, it's what you went to. I would
1: Atlanta, find a different target. target. find a yes. different target.
0: <laughs> That's
2: where it's I'm then, at in 2019. That's how I'm closing out this year. Is <laughs> trying to make new friends with a t-shirt at Target. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: let's get into The Gunslinger, which I uh, I, I saw um, one of the folks from Lucasfilm refer to this uh, episode as the chef's kiss episode. And I was like, what's, what's he mean by that? And it's like, oh, that's what he means. And I, uh, again, just making sweet love to all the nerds writing I Love You and Lipstick on the Mirror, and I'm fine with it. I'm absolutely fine with that. So, well, let's talk about uh, this episode. And it begins with a space battle. It's a very quick space battle. And it, it does look like one of the vintage ships from the, the prequels that makes an appearance with this gunfight. And we have the Mandalorian, you know, uh, say like, hey, that's my line when, you know, uh, about, you know, you know, you can come in warm or you can come in cold. And we get an instant issue of trademark infringement between uh, bounty hunters. And Gabby, could, could you share your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so I, I thought that was really interesting. And, and I was I was glad that, you know, the Mandalorian called him out on it. Um, obviously, the Mandalorian is not going to pursue any kind of trademark infringement uh, recourse against our now deceased um, other bounty hunter friend, um, but yeah, he, he clearly took this line um, and, and a slogan as defined by courts um, is a brief attention getting phrased used in advertising or promotion or a phrase used repeatedly as in promotion. So, you know, we only know that, that Mando used it once. Um, but I tend to think that he used it for every, every bounty he went after, um, that didn't come willingly, um, that that was kind of his opening line. Um, so if it was his opening line, and obviously it had to make the rounds to get to this other bounty hunter, um, to become known as, as his line. Um, but yeah, he definitely trade, um, slogans can be protected under trademark. Um, They have to be inherently distinctive or creative, um, which I think this one is, because it it kind of differs from your traditional, you know, um, bring you in hot or bring you in cold um, type of, uh, you know, phrasing. Um, And it could develop a secondary meaning, which obviously (laughs) to bring you in warm is to bring you in, um, you know, willingly. And to bring you in cold is you put up a fight um, and I'm going to have to bring you in dead, possibly for a lower price. Um, so so it does, it, it could meet either of those standards and, and we know that trademarking slogans is nothing new and trademarking phrases is nothing new. Um, not only do businesses do this, but um, artists do this a lot, specifically um, Taylor Swift is famous for doing this. Uh, when her 1989 album came out, she f- uh, trademarked several um, lyrics from her songs um, including This Sick Beat, and several other ones that I can't name off the top of my head, but um, you know, celebrities also trademark their baby names. And, and so it's a way of protecting um, your identity and protecting something that is a part of your brand, a part of your business, um, but specifically part of your brand. So this phrase is clearly part of Mando's brand. Uh, this other bounty hunter is kind of rubbing it in and sticking to him with uh, using it against him. Um, And and I definitely think he has, uh, would, if he's, if our bounty hunter had survived, um, he would have an argument for trademark infringement.
2: So you're telling me that every time the Cantina song plays in A New Hope and I yell out spontaneously, this sick beat, I love it. I'm infringing on Taylor Swift's copyright in my own home.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's Yes, that's that's you've
2: introduced a lot of legal liability to my daily life. (laughs) And I will say uh, that phrase, bring you in cold or bring you in hot. I've started using it with my own toddler daughter when she fights me trying to put her jacket on uh, as we're taking her in uh, to daycare each morning. Uh, So but he I I will say you make a good point. He is the type of person I don't know that um, he's gone out and and. you know, done any official paperwork to to trademark this thing. But a guy like him in a very competitive market, as bounty hunting clearly is, would need a signature, right? That phrase like means something to him. It's catchy. Uh, Clearly somebody else thought a lot of it to start using it. So it makes sense that he would defend it. He just chooses to defend it with deadly force. (laughs) And that may be another legal issue. Can you defend your trademark with deadly force? I don't know.
1: The answer is no, no, you cannot. Um, Please don't, please Taylor Swift do not go out and show up at Thomas's house. With a (laughs)
2: flamethrower.
1: Take action (laughs) against it.
0: Yeah, the extrajudicial remedy was a bit much for (laughs) shooting down what could have been a Z-95. But um, that does raise good self-defense issues because he was being shot at by said Z-95. So when you look at the totality of the circumstances, (laughs) defending oneself with lethal force from lethal force versus bringing a copyright suit, (laughs) I'm going to go with the lethal force situation because you need to be alive in order to bring said infringement action. Yes. Which then brings us to where we land. You know, there's a, uh, you know, we, we, we go back to Tatooine, back to where it all began, at least in the release of the movies. And it's, a, it, it's fun to see what uh, seven years of reforms have brought after uh, the death of the Huts and uh, the fall of the empire, uh, with landing in the, you know, this, uh, you know, with uh, this hive of scum and villainy. And we touch down. There's a mechanic, and uh, Mando leaves uh, Baby Yoda asleep on a bunk <laughs> on the ship. So he isn't a bunk. So it's not like the kid's put in a closet. It, it's it's it's
1: kind of not... looks like a closet, though. Kind of looks <laughs> like a, I mean, it has a door.
0: It, it's it's a bunk. And that's, he's on a ship, ships aren't exactly known for their creature comforts, that's a bunk, it's a very, very tight little bunk. And uh, Mando goes out to find work, and the kids sound asleep. Now, the last time the kid fell asleep after the, um, uh, you know, Rhino Beast, uh, the Mudhorn, he was out for like, a long time. Now, granted, weeks on, uh, you know, the the prior planet uh, with all the krill farmers, you know, he's probably was sleeping normal hours. But again, he's put down to bed, and Manda's going to go find work. Uh, let, let's let's talk about some of the childhood endangerment issues issues that could come up with that. Uh, Gabby, how about your take?
1: Yeah, I mean. Horror Mando, well, he's he has so many issues leaving this kid. I mean, this whole series can just be about him abandoning this kid over and over and over again. Um, and, and this is specifically a unique situation because in in the past, in the last episode, he left, he tried to leave Baby Yoda with a server, and then he tried to leave uh, Baby Yoda with Omera on the 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 crow farm. Um, so he was leaving the baby in somebody's custody, right? He was leaving him in somebody who would watch him and supervise him and what have you. Here, he's leaving him like just theoretically in a hot car because they're on Tatooine. (laughs) They're on a desert planet. He's leaving him in a hot space vehicle. Um... So, and we know that uh, 20 states have laws that make it illegal to leave a child unattended in a vehicle regardless of the temperature outside. So you could leave a a kid in a car uh, when it's 60 degrees outside, 100 degrees below zero, um, it's illegal regardless of when you leave them there. Here where I am in Connecticut, it's actually a felony um, for any parent or guardian um, to leave a child um, under the age of 12 unsupervised in actually in a place of a public accommodation, which we can reflect on how that would work in in the cantina scene in the previous episode, but also to leave them unattended in a motor vehicle uh, for a period of time that presents a substantial risk to the health or safety um, of the child. Um, And so in in Florida, There's also a law against it. Um, It would be considered a misdemeanor um, and the period there is excess of 15 minutes. So presumably Mando has left the ship for longer than 15 minutes when um, Pelimoto goes on the ship. So he's violated Florida law, he's violated uh, Connecticut law um, by abandoning his kid on a hot spaceship. He has violated several laws in at least 20 states. Tatooine
2: does uh, seem like the Florida of the galaxy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A Tatooine man.
0: Yeah, I. uh, I think it's a little different, and it'd be interesting to get into case law to see if they recognize any differences. No, he's not left in a backseat of a Camaro. He he's left in something that could be more like a motorhome, you know, that has a bed in it. That's bigger than just you know a car. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see if there's any case law that that differentiates that, or if they just take a very you know strict view of uh, a motor vehicle as a motor vehicle.
1: Well, I think I think the key thing, and especially with Connecticut law, you see this is is the key aspect because the Connecticut statute applies to both pub- places of public accommodation and motor vehicles and the key in, in that statue and also the florida statue and is that leaving the child unattended or unsupervised so i think he had a better opportu- he had you know a better defense in the case of leaving the kid in the cantina with the server quote unquote watching him um, as opposed to just kind of leaving him in the car and you know taking off with nobody to monitor the child you know cuz what if the child um, has an illness or has any sort of issues and nobody's there to attend to the child. So.
2: And certainly I I think you're right on. And, and if the bar, if the law we're talking about has substantial risk is sort of the, the key hinge factor there, the, the risk to the child while under the care of a random bartender is a lot different than the risk to the child on blazing Tatooine in the back of a non-running spaceship, even one that's, you know, fairly sizable, that thing is gonna get hot pretty quickly, even in the the slight shade of of the docking bay there. And Josh, I almost wonder if the space can almost work to the Mandalorian's disadvantage. In other words, there's a lot more stuff for the Baby Yoda to get into wandering or you know blasters uh, you know that whole cabinet of blasters he's got a carbonite freezing chamber in there and there's a lot of um uh, attractive nuisances if you will all over that ship that maybe there aren't in the back of like if he was driving like a space camry or something like that
1: And we know Baby Yoda is interested in all the little
2: doohickeys
1: (laughs) on the the ship as as evidenced by the past two episodes. He's clearly touching everything and playing with everything. So he's not trustworthy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a... Yeah, I would think a babysitting droid would be helpful at this point in time if you need to go undertake a job and not have the child blow anything up. I would think that would be a much much smarter plan, um, so that way uh, the child is safe. So let's let's go to the immediate contract negotiations that uh, happened after you know uh, disembarking the Razor Crest and chatting with a uh, Pelly. You know, he has 500 imperial credits, so even he had some of the, the funny money left over. And, you know, asked, like, what can this get me, at least for for now? And he was going to go take on more work. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the, the contract issues with this? And, and Thomas, uh, why don't you take the first swing at this?
2: It's not really a well-defined contract. And, and from both sides mando doesn't seem to have a full idea of what he's asking for other like obviously he needs berthing for the ship but they don't really get into the extent of the repairs that are done he doesn't ask for an estimate to be done <laughs> he, he has no idea what the scope of work is i don't think pelimoto knows the scope of work that needs to be done other than that this ship is all banged up and needs a lot of work um I think the the other issue here is, you know, what's the labor rate, right? He doesn't want droids to to do the work. Presumably that's a lower rate of uh, labor than it is for a human like her to to have to do it. So he's gotten himself into a very ill-defined contract here. (laughs) Pelimoto has no idea. I mean, she's taking an awful risk that she's just not only going to have this giant hunk of junk sitting in her hangar needing repairs with no guarantee that he's going to come back, but Shortly after he leaves, she's now in charge of this baby as well that she doesn't know about. And it's funny, she sort of modifies the contract on the fly and, and takes this baby under her wing and just says, you know, we're going to tra- charge more for the babysitting services. Uh, but I wonder whether Mandalorian would have necessarily agreed to that contract modification.
0: Gabby, your your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it, it, it does seem that that it's it's a very terribly negotiated contract. I mean, while they were negotiating or quasi negotiating, um, I was just thinking, my God, if if you went to go do that with a mechanic, you would just be in so much, oh my God, the the disaster you would be in if if you tried to to do something similar at a mechanic. Um, but yeah, I, I think also all contract and ideas of getting paid um, kind of fall to the wayside when she looks into Baby Yoda's eyes and she's just like, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Like, I don't care. Like, I love this child. I'm taken, you know.
2: This is whatever. my consideration.
1: <laughs> this is my cons- Exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I got that sense too. Because as soon as she looks into those big eyes, it's like, okay, I'm I'm good, I'm good. Yeah. I understand this man. He he needs work to take care of this child. I'm in. And uh, again, that's also part of the magic of Star Wars. Of people, you know, who might look rough. All of a sudden, it's like, ah, let's go save these people. Yeah. And that's
2: that's
0: that's Star Wars. So. Uh, but yeah, there's some seriously undefined terms and, <laughs> and a brand new babysitting gig that comes out of this. And, uh, you know, trying to figure out food with something with bones. Like, really? <laughs> Did... I'm going to go with something soft. Now.
1: Clearly like... nobody around this child, except for maybe the krill farmers, has any idea what to do with the child. Like, they're just, <laughs> they're like, it looks cute.
2: the, the number of folks in the galaxy that we've seen so far with any meaningful experience with kids is like preciously small i do like that she does not question that a guy like mando has a little baby with him and not a baby that looks anything like him probably
1: and it's also funny that she she never assumes that he's like the baby is being held against its... Like, if there's anything nefarious there, she's just like, yep, father, son. Like, (laughs) I got it. I know what's happening here.
2: (laughs) Your dad's working hard to protect you and raise you.
0: (laughs) Again, that's the, again, magic of Star Wars. I'm totally down with it. Uh, Best of human nature. Uh, Now, is it me or is the, the puppet emoting more? That we're starting to see more expressions from the puppet, the puppet...
1: I think we're getting like drawn into the puppet. I think we are becoming like Werner Herzog who just yeah. wants to protect this puppet at all Melt- costs.
2: We're <laughs> collectively melting like sticks of butter in the microwave.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just, it looked like the mouth was moving more and there was just a little more emoting and maybe it's been there the entire <laughs> time and I just didn't pick up on You haven't that. been under
1: the spell. You haven't been under the spell. I'm just a
0: cold, cold person. <laughs> well, let's go back. We, we, we go back to the cantina, which is, you know, maybe Wurr still owns it, or actually he didn't own it. A Wookiee owned it. Mm-hmm. Maybe is retired. Maybe he's dead. Maybe the Wookiee no longer owns it, and I'm blanking on the Wookie's name.
2: Chalman. Chalman. That's- Sorry, it's a disease that I have.
0: <laughs> it's... And you, and yet you married and had a child. That's impressive. This is so true. Uh, you know, normally that's a vow of celibacy. So good, good for you. Um, but I didn't
2: disclose a material fact <laughs> of my own.
0: Uh, but we go to the cantina, and there's no droid detector. There are droid bartenders. There's R five rolling around, and it's not super busy. But then again, it's probably a weekday or early in the morning, so it would be weird if it was, so, uh, uh, but we do see, um, you know, another bounty hunter who's, I think in the same booth that Han was in the same seat that Han was. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I find that again, just, just pure nerd love, but, uh, you know, if we, (laughs) I don't. Maybe our lawsuit, fictional lawsuit that we did with the mock trial, uh, did 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 you know bring civil rights to Tatooine for the droids?
2: Having defended the cantina, I reject that notion entirely. <laughs> this was this was a, a, clearly a voluntary uh, change in business practices that had nothing to do with said suit. <laughs> there was no admission of liability. <laughs> One one thought that that popped into my mind as he's meeting Toro Calican is that when he speaks to the droid bartender, uh, he's asking for a non guild job. Clearly, that has some significance. It's off the books. I mean, this is, we don't know a lot about the bounty hunting guild, but it seems like there's a line in the sand between guild jobs being maybe more official jobs and whatever he's seeking out being under the table, black market type deals. And I wonder, I was sort of wondering out loud as I was watching this whether this is some sort of like significant legal risk for him now because he's, he shot his way directly out of the bounty hunting guild. <laughs> and does the guild itself offer you legal protections when you take these jobs? In other words, similar to our discussion of of real world bounty hunting, uh, does he is, has he suddenly lost his his badge his certification to go out and do these things under an official banner?
0: If the guild allows murder for hire, <laughs> I, I don't know how legitimate it is because you shouldn't be able to contract for murder. That contracts against public policy, and bail bondsmen are not henchmen for murder. So there's some serious issues with that right out of the gate. But I, God knows what, what kind of uh, non guild work he was looking for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, not know, that, that is a tough one. It's but weird. I,
1: I, th- I think even removing the murder for hire element of it, he's definitely I mean, think about it as, you know, somebody working um, in any sort of job with any sort of protections. I mean, you have the kind of standard of the employer is paying taxes, um, the employee has taxes removed from um, their wages, and it's a very kind of government-regulated system, um, and who, we don't know how much, um, you know, the, the guild was actually regulated, um, although there is the, the, the bounty hunter... Uh, proclamation code that IG-11 uh, recites. So maybe there is some regulation. Um, but now he's he's without that. So he is he's working under the table. The guild may have had some sort of insurance to protect him against um, any sort of claims if things go wrong. Um, they may have had medical insurance, um, you know, any number of things that you get with a traditional job. And now he's lost that because he did shoot his way out, and now he's working under the table. So he's working on unreported wages, um, untaxed wages, um, You know, no, no sort of union, no sort of protection, no sort of regulation, um, and it, it's, very, it's a very shadowy business that he's now getting himself into, um, which may open himself to more issues with the child um, as far as things going wrong down the line.
0: Yeah, so many things to unpack there. <laughs> well, let's get into, once again, another partnership that's formed, this time with a uh, Toro Calacan. And we talked about this last last week, but just for the highlights that a partnership is two or more persons to carry on as co-owners of a business for profit form a uh, partnership, uh, whether or not the person's intent to form said pro- uh, partnership. In this, the partnership was to, we're going to go out and we're going to go catch a deadly assassin who used to murder people for the Hutts. I think they absolutely had a partnership and even uh, Toro refers to the Mandalorian as partner, which, you know, acknowledges, you know, said formation of the partnership. But that raises the interesting issue of the duty of loyalty because you're supposed to be loyal to your partners and not do anything to breach the duty of loyalty, and uh, what what code sections uh, this this is from Connecticut? Uh, you know, state that um, partnership um, uh, is to hold as a trustee uh, for any property or profit or benefit uh, derived from the partnership um, in, in the conduct um, that's in can't do anything adverse to said partnership. Um, you know, like, you're in this together. Uh, You're supposed to advance the partnership together. Uh, It's not supposed to be for personal gain. And that gets severely compromised uh, when uh, Toro has his little heart-to-heart with a fennec. And, uh, Thomas, can can we get your take on that first with, her saying, you can be a legend.
2: (laughs) She makes him the offer he can't refuse. It's... It's curious here. So I think he, in going after uh, or, or or killing her and and sort of attempting to betray or and and ultimately betraying the Mandalorian, uh, I think he. It's it's a clear breach of his duty of loyalty here. Almost about as black and white as you can get. This would be the perfect example to just illustrate this principle. For law for law students who are learning this because a lot of times you see this in a in a business relationship uh, and it's you know maybe arguable what they're whether what they're doing is is actually a breach but here he literally you know ends the episode attempting to to uh, you know, take this child and and uh, basically upturn everything that the Mandalorian has worked for um, and when you're core duty involves placing the success and interest of the partnership above their own personal interest that's exactly what he's flipped on its head here uh,
1: <laughs>
2: with a blaster no less so <laughs> it's it, it's a, another nice example in Star Wars of a nice black and white uh, clear cut issue
0: yeah, and you know the other you know, it, it, it smacks you right in the head you know, the comment of she's no good to us dead I'm like Shooting Fennec destroyed the purpose of the partnership, which was a, a breach of, uh, you know, Toro's fiduciary duty. In addition to, you know, raising serious issues and murder that we can get into in just a moment. But the entire purpose of the partnership was to bring her in so they could get paid, and he, in sh- Toro, shot her on purpose to benefit himself. So all kinds of. Fun issues to unpack there, uh, which then brings us to the issue of you know murder. Uh, mm-hmm. Gabby, could you <laughs> take this one
1: <laughs> again with the um, first year law school uh, flashbacks under the very great Martin Margulies at Quinnipiac, um, and his many lessons on murder, um, and also a deep dive into Wikipedia um, and the various degrees of murder. Um, but so, so I think what we have here when he shoots Fennec, he it's, de- we're definitely in murder territory as opposed to manslaughter. So manslaughter, um, is, you know, kind of in, in, involuntary accidental death. Um, the person accused of manslaughter doesn't intend or plan, um, for the victim to die. Uh, there's no malice aforethought. Uh, there's no intent. So here w- we definitely have intent to kill. Um, so... The question then becomes whether it's first degree or second degree murder. Um, first degree murder would require malice aforethought, so that's the planning element of first degree murder. Um, now, as the great Martin Margulies taught us, um, you know, planning doesn't have to be as you know we tend to think. Oh, somebody sat there for weeks and months and you know planned the murder, um, but it, it can be a short, relatively short period. It's 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 a period of considering um, you know, this, this ki- what this killing this person would mean um, and a short amount can count um, as malice aforethought. And I think here you could argue that he did have malice aforethought because as um, she's, as Phoenix' talking, you can kind of see the wheels in his head turning of what can I do to kind of become a legend um, and obviously he's not, you know, he's, he, we don't think he's a great guy to begin with. Um, and you know, he, he's, he kind of is weighing his options. So I think you could make an argument for first degree murder, but definitely, um, you have second degree murder here, um, which is intent to kill without malice of forethought. Um, this is your crimes of passion, uh, your depraved heart murder, uh, where an individual, um, under circumstances um, has a depraved indifference to human life um, and causes grave risk or death to another person. So so you're definitely in intent to kill territory, second degree murder. First degree would be a different argument.
2: I think you touch on a really good point there with the, the short amount of time that's necessary for malice aforethought. I think this would be first-degree murder the challenge would be proving Mm -hmm. what was going on in his head because you don't have any witnesses there unless fennec survived that shot to the gut and she's there to testify and we're talking about attempted first-degree murder because she she says this line to um calican if you want to be a bounty hunter you've got to make the best deal for yourself and survive and he sort of looks away and he's weighing this option. He's this is, he may not be smart, but this is a a young guy that's been sort of planning things out and, and trying to scheme and get ahead from the moment we see him at the, the beginning of this episode. And so I think this is sort of a microcosm of Calico, just a rash decision, but not one that was made in the heat of passion. I think he, he, Listen to her words. He heeded her words and he pulled the trigger based on her words and thought that he was going to come out ahead in all of this as a result of that. So I think he did commit first degree murder.
0: Uh, definitely. <laughs> and, uh, he didn't take the cuffs off her. So it was more <laughs> an execution mm-hmm. after she convinced him, hey, you need to bring in the Mandalorian. So he shoots her. There, there's no good way out of this. Uh, I, I think it's murder one and uh, definitely not heat of passion. It just, he decides to, to offer. Now, if she survived because it's a waste of a perfectly good actress to have her in it just that briefly. <clears throat> sure, there's we still haven't seen the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but come on, Ming deserves better. <laughs> but <laughs> she just got to the Star Wars franchise. Come on, throw her a bone. Uh,
1: But I I think she she is going to survive. I mean, at the end of the episode, um, you know, obviously we're getting a little ahead, but at at the end of the episode, we do see a cloaked figure stand over her. Presumably, my thought was that's uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character, um, maybe, you know, reviving her somehow. Um, and, but if she ultimately does die from that gunshot wound, I mean, say she's, you know, maybe not dead, maybe almost dead, um, as there's clearly a difference between dead, dead, and almost dead, um, (laughs) they, she, you know, if she ends up dying later, uh, from that, that gunshot wound, he would still be guilty of murder under the delayed death exception, you know, as long as you can trace an eventual death to an injury, um, a person could be charged with both attempted murder and then murder um, down the line.
0: Yeah, there's, <laughs> we'll find out who that is. It, yes. It's obvious, obviously another bounty hunter, but yeah, we'll, but you think Manda would have checked to make sure if she's dead or just bleeding out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Because I don't think it would leave a, you know, someone bleeding out who could, who, who's still uh, a, a target that he could at least cash in on somehow. So that just seemed weird, but we do get a do back. Uh, now let's talk about kidnapping because people might go like, how's there kidnapping? Uh, Pelio and Baby Yoda didn't leave the hangar. They just got forced into the Razor Crest how is that kidnapping? And uh, I, I would say like, look at the conviction of OJ Simpson in Las Vegas, which was push a guy into a hotel room that he, the guy was staying in. That falls into the kidnapping realm. And uh, Gabby, could, could you help us understand why that is?
1: Yeah, and so um, kidnapping is, is usually um, the unlawful taking or concealment of an individual. Um, or as also has been defined as anyone who without lawful authority forcibly seizes and confines another with intent to cause such other person to be confined or in prison. So e- even though this is temporary, um, there's no, neither in the, the model penal code nor any sort of, um, you know, definitions you'll find out there, um, there's really no time element. To kidnapping, the the element of taking somebody. So he clearly has a gun to the head of Peli uh, and Baby Yoda. Um, you know he's forcing he's forcing them from the ship, um, and and he's he's kidnapping them. He is he presumably tends to either injure them. Um, he's using them as a shield and a hostage. Um, you know when he confronts Mando. Um, so, so he, he there's no necessary necessary time element um, to the uh, unlawful taking um, or you know detention of somebody.
0: Yeah, it's also just bad form. So, but I'm I'm old fashioned that way. <laughs> uh, but it does bring up the the true Western type shootout scenario for defense of others, mm-hmm. and that does get into, uh, you know, the right to protect third parties. We've talked about this before, but, uh, Thomas can, can you, uh, help with, uh, the dad defense of saving said child?
2: Look, the Mandalorian would have been well within his rights to kill everybody on the planet of Tatooine in defense of baby Yoda. We can all agree on that, but this is one of the cleanest examples in the series so far of defense of others. Uh, He's got a blaster trained on him. He's got an individual that has uh, made it very clear that his intent is to, to, you know, either kill or injure the Mandalorian, or as a, a an awful alternative, kill Baby Yoda or Peli. And those aren't really, you know, great options. And I think when. The Mandalorian steps into the shoes, so to speak, legally speaking, of either Pelle or Baby Yoda. Either of them are facing the same threat. Uh, Clearly, they're being held at at Blaster Point and facing certain death if if Mando doesn't comply. So he's well within his rights to defend them, and in in doing that, uh, that this sort of the unique feature of defense of the of others. You step into that person's shoes and have whatever legal ability they have to defend themselves so clean kill i love that he uses the same sort of flare gun that they used to advance on fennec earlier in the episode to turn it right back on him and get him um while i think fennec probably survived that that gut shot i do not think we're going to see um calican again which i'm fine with
0: yeah i'm yeah uh especially with what happens to his corpse, which, which we need to talk about of, you know, the, I don't know, just drag it out past the Dune Sea. So let's, it was a few years ago. There was a lot of TV shows that uh, had issues with dead bodies, moving them, defacing them. So I, I did a lot of research into legal issues of dead bodies, which apparently is a, actual area of the law i uh, did not think i would go to law school for that one and uh, uh this,
2: I, I will say this this episode needs to get published before local law enforcement or the fbi search certainly either of your search histories because yes, you're both going to be guilty as hell <laughs> and i'll yeah, sit here, i don't know officers they seem like upstanding folks to me but that Search history does sound pretty sketchy. No, I will not consent to you having a, 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 a consent search of mine. So, present yeah, the warrant, yeah. please.
1: <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah.
0: laughs> Love you too, big guy. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's talk about not reporting a fatal shooting. And we get, Gabby, we we can alternate on these. So it's uh. <laughs>
1: So we'll take the non-creepy one first because this (laughs) does tend to happen more often than people weirdly illegally dumping up a body. Um, People do not report fatal shootings for a number of reasons, especially in high crime areas. They're afraid um, to report, um, you know, because of gang activity and what have you. Um, However, in Missouri in particular, um, it is a a class A misdemeanor for a person um, to either Fire a weapon um, and that causes injury or death to another and not report it, or um, knowing that, that he or she has caused such injury, um, fails to report that to a law enforcement officer. Um, so, in Missouri at least, and, and possibly some other states, it is a misdemeanor to report. Um, so, likely someone on tact, you know, either Mando or Pelly. Um, not reporting the shooting of Toro Calican may be a misdemeanor, but it still seems like a very kind of lawless area. Um, so I don't know how much trouble they would be in.
0: Yeah, yeah I would point to the stormtrooper heads on pikes yeah. as an example yeah. of, because of, uh, I think those are more than just the helmets. I think there's a surprise in each one
1: um, I think there are some some entrails
0: there. It just is a message of this is what we do to your kind, and even if the heads weren't inside, <laughs> it still sends a strong message of this is what we do to your kind, and uh, even even if, if it does look like a cleaner, more friendly Mos Eisley's, uh, those are that's a one hell of a welcome wagon of like oh look heads on pikes. <laughs>
1: We and went you from know what, Star Wars in, to Game of Thrones real quick. <laughs> yeah.
2: In that environment, I don't blame, I don't, I don't generally endorse unlawful conduct, but in that particular environment, I don't blame Pelly one bit from quickly getting her pit droids in action and taking care of this body because Tatooine is probably the last place that I would want to have to be answering questions about some dead bounty hunter in my docking bay.
0: There's that. I mean, God knows what kind of law enforcement's actually there. Uh, It does raise issues of, we got another dead dude, how do we handle this? Maybe she didn't want to deal with the paperwork. Uh, There's, I mean, there's so many weird wild cards with just get rid of the body. And which was...
2: She's got a lot. Of, she's running. She's gonna to have to explain her unlicensed daycare that she's running there. I mean, there are all sorts of issues here.
0: I'm just taking care of my uh, my client's kid. It's just you know, it's it's fun. It's therapeutic. <laughs> she um, just
1: wants to play her cards and live her life and just survive.
0: <laughs> be, be free of government regulation. Just, exactly. it's, you know, it's like those people who want to live in Montana and not have speed limits, you know, just a very, very extreme libertarian uh, point of view of I just fix things. It's, it's, it's who I am, plus childcare. care. Uh, well, let's get into the illegal dumping of bodies, which, you know, is a crime. We have lots of rules with, with dead yeah. people. <clears throat> Breaking this down, the law of the dead is they're supposed to get buried fast. We don't want diseases coming about. We don't want rotting corpses. It's bad for morale. It's bad for public health. So we want to get rid of these things. Either they're buried or they're in, you know, uh, cremated very quickly after death. That's why we have cemeteries. We have rules for moving dead bodies between counties. And this was just drag the body out to the dune sea and, and leave it there. Uh, theoretically, they get picked apart. Uh, I don't know if they plan to strip it. I mean, what? No. Do you bury it? Just
2: we do know there are womp rats in Beggars Canyon, so I, I only I can only assume that that's the real reason, other than the distance from Moss Isley.
0: Yeah, would there be, banthas get back in? I'm like, would they chew on it? I, I don't know, uh, but some scavengers would would probably pick the bones clean. Uh now, you know, Gabby, what what did your uh, unfortunate research? Uh,
1: oh my gosh, it it was it was terrible, and yeah, my I may be deleting my browser history <laughs> shortly after this because it is very creepy. Um, and I stumbled apparently there's a whole Wikipedia page about the um, dumping and uh, destruction of a body, Um, so thanks Wikipedia, thanks for everybody who put that together, like go get some help. Um, But most one thing I stumbled on, which I did not know this, apparently, again, there is a whole area of law of the dead. Um, there are actually local zoning laws um, that regulate where bodies can and cannot be buried. Um, so unfortunately for you, you cannot like, go bury um, your, your, bot, your loved one's body, I don't know, in, in Six Flags or Disney World or what have you. Um, you know, it has to be in an area that's specifically zoned uh, for cemetery and internment. Um, and the the state license and and permits where graves can be, um, where bodies can be buried, um, and you can be arrested for illegal disposal of a body as a man in Roanoke, Virginia was. Um, So please do not go illegally dumping bodies of your loved ones, there's a whole genre of literature that says why, that's a really bad idea. Um, So just don't do it, it's a crime.
2: When it seems like, especially with crimes, like murders and whatnot, you can't go a day or two without reading a story, probably a lot out of Florida, um, (laughs) of somebody that murders somebody, hides their body, tries to dispose of their body, and then in addition to the murder, they get charged with desecration of the corpse or or mishandling of the corpse. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you saw it recently, oh, I'm trying to think of that... Um, that case where that father killed his wife and uh, two young kids and then went to the oil derrick or the uh, oil field where he worked and dumped their bodies there. But quite frequently, I mean, there you're dealing with a situation where the person has not only mishandled the corpse, but they've removed the literal crime scene or the key element of the crime Mm -hmm. scene. And so there's a particular sort of law enforcement angle to that. And I, I think that would play here because as big a jerk as uh, Calican may have been, that dead body sitting there was a crime scene, regardless of what legal justification Mando had in killing him, the, you know, whatever Tatooine authorities exist, would have an interest in investigating this, certainly sending him to an autopsy to determine cause of death and, and working all those things out. And it's just not kosher to take him and, and dump him in Beggar's Canyon of all places. <laughs>
0: There are many if he had issues. said the
2: sarlacc i would have been like <laughs> exploded with pure star wars awesomeness but i'll take beggar's canyon
0: beggar's Canyon's still a nice deep cut so yes. it, it works for me which, which you raise the issue of desecration of a corpse and dragging if they literally just drug the body out god knows how many miles that would absolutely be desecration <laughs> so let, let's break down desecration so many states recognize there's a tort for abusing or mishandling a body and that's generally because you don't want to freak out family members with like, what did you do to my boy? Uh, under common law, and it was Lord Koch who said this in the 17th century, that a corpse has no value. So it's like you don't go selling bodies, and that's an entire different issue with medical experimentation. Uh, but it's generally, it's the ancestors uh, or, or living heirs um, that, that can uh, bring a, a claim because they don't want the remains of a family member disturbed. Now New York has cases about the improper treatment of corpses, uh, specifically that those who handle a corpse such as you know, a funeral home have a higher duty of care that they're not supposed to mess up said body for uh, like presentation at a funeral or anything like that. Or you know, there are other horrible cases with corpses being mishandled for funerals that we don't need to get into uh, other than we're supposed to bury dead bodies very quickly because it's is an issue of public health and dragging a body out miles to Baker's Canyon if that's exactly what the droids did raises all kinds of wild issues for a desecration of a corpse like the sh- it, it it could maim the body <laughs> so it would be, be bad
2: I just picture like the residents of Moss Eisley like mm-hmm. watching these pit droids kind of walk out dragging this this dead young guy in there just like, well, it's another day in Mos Eisley. <laughs> just, shrug and go, mess. Just, <laughs> just shrug that. and go back to your blue milk.
1: <laughs> I mean, again, pr- presumably they have body parts sitting in a public area on spikes. So I don't think they're that concerned with the laws of public health and desecration of bodies and all of that kind of stuff. If there is any authority, I would just like to see that one like, overwhelmed town clerk of Mos <laughs> Eisley just like, you can't do that, you can't do that in
0: here. <laughs> the, the one person trying to enforce leash laws yeah. and just at her wit's end of, um, <laughs> this is not okay. <laughs> uh, now, things that just struck me, and, and we do need to Kind of keep this brief, but this edition of Mos Eisley has looked more like the 1977 original cut of Star Wars, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it's a little more on the sleepy side. We don't have CGI creatures walking around. It's a little more on the sleepy side. And I thought that was interesting, because what's happened post Return of the Jedi? did killing you know Leia killing job of the hut did that create a giant power vacuum that actually allowed normal government functions to start working follow the empire did what what impact did that have
2: yeah you you kill the area's largest employer of scum and villainy and it kind of becomes tough to make it you know make it work there i th- i was particularly struck that the cantina was relatively empty mm-hmm. you know you had Two bartenders who had a lot of time on their hands. Uh, I did love that they were the same model uh, EV droid as uh, Java's torture droid EV ninety nine that you see in Return of the Jedi. They seemed a little kinder, kinder though.
0: Yeah, they, they again for food service and prep you would have to be, and uh, you know R five you know he he didn't have a bad motivator so yeah. he was he was out living his He's best in life. Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing his thing. So, uh well, yeah. it again. Maybe it was morning. Maybe they they had just opened. So, but not seeing the droid detector on the wall, that was a nice improvement. And the speeders looked like the same type of speeder that Anakin had in uh, Attack of the Clones.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Swoop bikes. Yes. Yeah, that was a nice touch.
0: Just a making sweet love to the fans. So mm-hmm. that's uh, it's that's the way I think of this episode.
1: The only uh, thing missing was a sand joke. Nobody made a sand joke. <laughs> there should have been a sand joke. That would have capped it off. It would have been the the cherry on top.
2: Just dunk on everybody.
0: Uh, no no was, but it was nice seeing sand people, and violence did not ensue with said uh, uh, sand people, and the Banthas. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, yeah trade their way through to safety where no one needed to die.
2: I love that the Mando clearly has familiarity with Tatooine and with those, that species in, in particular, and that they're still represented as this sort of wild and dangerous threat that's out there. That's not to be trifled with, uh, you know, for somebody like the Mando to want to go the negotiation route to get through cleanly, as opposed to saying, well, that, nothing that we can't handle i just it just reinforced that sort of same sense that obi-wan gave you during a new hope
0: yeah we don't have to kill everything that's
1: (laughs) i also like the unspoken kind of nod to the whole aggressive negotiations line that you know calican was clearly itching to just like blast those raiders like off the face of the planet and you know, Amanda was like, no, like let's actually do this diplomatically and let's negotiate with them and you know we'll give them your binoculars. <laughs> your brand new
0: binoculars. Hey, those were new. <laughs> but they they are to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From a certain point of view, they still are. So uh they're just not yours. Yeah. And we don't have to fight our way out. So everyone lives.
1: Yeah. Yay! <laughs> so. I also I also cannot wait now with this new perspective on the Tusken Raiders, um, you know, dealing with diplomacy and how Mando interacts with them as opposed to how Calican and obviously Anakin and, and everyone else seems to interact with the Raiders. Um, I am now waiting for the you know, analysis of the post-colonial sub of the Tuscan <laughs> Raiders in the Tatooine society um, and how they've been mistreated and misrepresented. Um, so if anybody finds that, please send it to me so I can read it. That's <laughs> a
0: wonderful expose. Uh, could be someone's you know, doctorate paperwork right there.
1: Yes. This is
0: my, my thesis.
1: Hey, so. if, if, if I could write a subcolonial analysis of Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> You can too. You can, you can do it on the Tuscan Readers.
0: <laughs> God bless you. That's, uh, that's exceptional. <laughs> we should publish that. So a uh, couple things, you know, if you, if you enjoy us, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen to us. Uh, I just launched a Patreon page, so you know Patreon forward slash The Legal Geeks, so that way to help cover costs for all of our adventures that we have. And I'll I'll do some one-off audio commentary on things like Watchmen and uh, some other shows that we might not blog about out of because there's just not enough time in the day, but have some audio commentary about uh, the the trial of Adrian uh, Vat and and uh, uh, how the closing argument went in that. So check that out. So with that, uh, we are we only have a couple episodes left. I don't know if we'll get. Uh, that, that Ahsoka live action cameo. I want to hold out hope that that's the, the swing for the fences moment for how we saved as a kid. Uh, but until if, then, if, everyone.
1: If, if, if CW Elsewhere's uh, Elseworld and, and Crisis on Infinite Earth can pull a last minute crossover. I have hope for Star Wars and the Mandalorian. I do, I have hope. <laughs>
0: yeah, and they haven't announced all of the crossover and cameos. So there's mm-hmm. apparently six that they haven't you know, disclosed. So nope. get ready, get ready. They yeah, talk about excellent fan service. Anywho, <laughs> uh, with that everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in and stay geeky, stay geeky America.